Hi, we are Inspired Churches and we are honored for you to tune in. We are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. As we walk into a new year, we invite you to be part of the ministry by donating a gift today. Go ahead and visit us at inspirechurches.com. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. We'll have it for you here on the screens, but I'd love for you to follow along if you have your Bible. It's just a great practice. Um, Romans chapter 10, uh, 13 through 17. If you have it on your Bible apps, feel free to open that up. Um, and uh, we will dive into this text. This morning, we are concluding our series that we've entitled um, Essentials. Amen? Amen. Uh, it has been uh, an incredible journey. It has been an incredible, incredible journey um, of just staring at the gospel. I think some of us in here need to stare at it until we are, until we are captured and until that staring turns into moving. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Um, and, and it's just been a great time um, just pulling it apart and its intricacies and um, pausing, and we, ha we didn't even hit everything that the gospel has, um, but I hope that what we did choose to provide was really just such a transformative moment in time for you, and um, I, I want to kind of, I don't have a real crafty introduction today, we're just going to get right into it, but I do want to say this, after eight weeks of staring at the gospel, um, it's time to move, it's time to move. It's time to move out of complacency, stagnation. After pulling apart the gospel and seeing how beautiful it is, your worship is your response. Your worship is your response. And so this morning, we are going to go from taking seven weeks of talking all the things that the gospel has done in us and for us. And we've been adopted. Amen. We've been justified. We've been sanctified. We've been given the free gift of Jesus Christ's righteousness. Free, gracious. There's just so many elements that we covered. And it's all, notice, it's all been me. It's all been, uh, you know, us, in us. And, and, and if we just stay here and we don't, and it doesn't move out, then, then really we're being very selfish. We're not actually imaging Christ. And so this morning, though it is our final installation, it is, it is really the call to move, the call to go, the call to be a witness. And so today's, today's final essential is the idea of being a witness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 10 verses 13 through 17 reads like this. And this is just a small excerpt from Romans. Romans is so vast and so incredible, but I really want to highlight this. And it says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
Paul presents a sequence of rhetorical questions that reveal the missional flow of the gospel. The, the missional flow is the flow that doesn't just stop going in, but it goes through and out. It's a flow that culminates with the sending of the church to the ends of the earth to be witnesses of Jesus's redeeming love. Have you been captured by his love? If you have and you are a witness called to the ends of the earth, the missional flow of the gospel is to go in us and through us and out of us to the ends of the earth. And so for our final installments of essentials, I want to zero in on five verbs of this missional flow, this sequence of salvation, these rhetorical questions. There are five verbs in these questions that I want to focus today as we close the book on this series in hopes to inspire you, motivate you, light a fire on you, under you to begin to take the good news out. And I'll give you the five up front in case you're taking notes. It's calling, believing, Hearing, preaching, and sending. It's the missional flow based on a set of rhetorical questions Paul is asking. Calling, believing, hearing, preaching, and sending. Y'all doing okay? Verse 14 begins with, how will they call on him? How will they call on him? You know, it's interesting, oftentimes in the scriptures, it is God who's calling us. In fact, most of the time in scripture, it is God who is calling us. And yet here in verses 13 and 14, it is our crying out to God that Paul has in mind. And what a beautiful guarantee that God has given to us through his scripture. We see it in Psalm 50, 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Amen. We see it in Psalm 53, 4. You, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who what? Call upon you. And now here in Romans 10, 13, Paul gives to us this same beautiful guarantee for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And yet, your call or your cry alone cannot save you. So the missional flow of the gospel continues. How can they call on him in whom they don't believe? Your call your crying out doesn't save you, but it is a call or a cry that is being motivated by faith. Now, what exactly are we to believe? Verse 17 makes it clear. We are to believe in the word of Christ. The word of Christ. In other words, we are to believe the teachings of Jesus. We are to believe in the truths of the gospel. And not just an agreement with the historical facts, but a trust 
or a confidence in the theological implications of those facts. We are not just to agree with the facts that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, and Jesus rose. Yes, we are to believe that there was once a man named Jesus, but we are also to trust that he lived a righteous life and gave that righteous life to us. We're not just to believe in the facts, but the implications. Yes, we are to believe that Jesus actually died. But we are also to trust that his death removed our sins and soaked up all of God's wrath for us. Yes, we are to believe in the credible evidence of the empty tomb. But we are also to trust that because he rose in glory, we will one day rise too. Do you see how our belief is stimulated not just by the fact, but also the implication of that fact? Yes, he lived. Yes, he died. Yes, he rose, but he gave to us his righteousness. He delivered us from our sin, and we will one day raise from the grave too. So Paul's right. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But nobody can genuinely call on the Lord unless they believe in the glorious truths of the gospel. Do y'all remember the Billy Graham Crusades? Some of you may, some of you may not. But many years ago, uh, Billy would fill up arenas. Fill up arenas. And uh, he, he would preach the gospel. And, and, and anyone who wanted to be saved after preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, he would invite if there was anybody in the arena that wanted to give their life to Christ. Typically, he would have them get up and come to the front. And then he would have them repeat what was called the sinner's prayer. Y'all remember that? In fact... It became so popular that every pastor and every church started to do the same thing, right? And so if you were raised in the 80s or 90s and early 2000s, uh, uh, every sermon always ended with some kind of salvation call. And if you were a preacher or a teacher that happened to preach and teach, but you didn't end with an opportunity for people to pray the prayer, people will look at you as if you weren't being, uh, 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 as if you weren't being uh, evangelical, as if you weren't calling people to salvation. Are you with me? Some of you are like, yeah, I kind of feel the same way here at Inspire. <laughs> and if you were a, just a, a sloppy sinner like me, you repeated that thing every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday. Just like, oh Lord. Right? Do you guys remember? Do you remember the prayer? Like there was just necessary components, right? There was like, dear Heavenly Father, and everyone would say, dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Say, we come before you today. Uh, uh, we admit that we are sinners, right? Admit that we are sinners and we are in need of a Savior. Now, everyone did different scripts, but it had to have these gospel components in it in order for it to bring salvation, right? Because Paul tells us, right? Confess. We confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts, right? The problem is, is that as that culture began to swap over the church, people began to confess with their mouths 
mouths but not believe with their hearts. And the problem with that is we begin to have what counterfeit calls out to God. We are full of counterfeit calls, superficial cries to God. Lord, if you do this, then I will do this. Lord, if you do this, then you'll give me this money and you will give me this blessing. The church became overwhelmed and it wasn't Billy Swallow. I love Billy. He is a hero and I'm okay with repeating of the prayers. But as the culture, as there began to be a lack of teaching and understanding, there were thousands of people who are walking around assuming falsely that they are right with the Lord because they repeated a prayer. Are you with me? Sadly, it was a calling out, but not a repenting. Sometimes I get asked, hey, how come we don't do altar calls, right? There's some folks in here, you never even heard of an altar call. So you're like, this is great. Some of you used to come from altar calls like, man, why don't we do them? We could talk about that a little bit later. Some of you are like, oh gosh, we could talk about that later. But, I, but what, what I began to grow tired of was the emotional response with no repentance. Right? We somehow in our culture created the altar call as like the pinnacle of our salvation experience. And we'd cry and, and praise God and I, that's beautiful. But then we'd leave and we'd look the exact same way. And so there is a crying out that is motivated by genuine belief that produces a repentance. But we have to be sure that you are not walking around with a false sense of security. There is no magic word. Amen? There is no magic words. Calling out alone can't save us. But only a crying out that has been motivated by genuine faith has the power to save. So we move from calling, believing, to hearing. And it's at this point that Paul asks another rhetorical question. How can they believe in him they have never heard? And then he will go on to say at the very end, verse 17, faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Now, what I want to say is that when God revealed himself to man, he didn't do it through visions. He did it through the word. He did it through his written word. And then Christ became the living word. And so there's something about the words of God, the specifics of God, the implications of the gospel that we are to comprehend, apprehend, and understand. So I'm going to give you two implications just based off of this idea of hearing. Two implications for you this morning. Number one, your faith is in constant need of nurturing. Do you know that? Did you know that your faith is in constant need of nurturing? Yeah. Life is hard. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And as a result, our faith is regularly being tested and assaulted. Can I get an amen? amen? Life is hard. Our faith is regularly being tested and assaulted. We live in a world that discourages us. Right? 
We, we don't even live in, we just don't live in a world that discourages. We live in a world that tempts us. And, and, and we live in a world that desires to weaken our faith. In fact, the scripture identifies three enemies that you have to your faith. Your flesh, the world, and Satan. The evil trinity. The dark trinity. Your flesh, the world, and supernatural, invisible powers and principalities at work. Wow. I know it is. Thanks. Just kidding. That was a joke. Ill-timed. So it's absolutely necessary. Absolutely necessary. If we desire a faith that endures. Are you ready for this? Here goes old legalistic Phil for some of you. To prioritize. <laughs> it's a joke. Jokes all around. It's absolutely necessary if you desire a faith that endures to prioritize rhythms of sitting, hearing, and listening to the word. And the West has a problem. And the Bay Area has a problem. Y'all are really busy. We are too preoccupied, too busy. How about this? Too entertained. And in the name of freedom from old religion, right? In the name of breaking free, because some of us have been in places and spaces where we were on lockdown. But in the name of that, we use our freedom and we abuse our freedom. And we're all too eager to use that freedom to deprioritize our commitment to be marked present in the house of God. Yeah? It's okay if that stings. It's good. Now, before you roll your eyes, <laughs> and I also want to say, parents, what you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. Amen? Now, you know, I always like the preferences. Like, miss a Sunday. Have a good time. Go where you want to go. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy rhythms of Sabbath. You know, like, that's okay. So please don't, don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. I'm saying if faith comes by hearing and you live in a world that wants to assault your faith, then we should prioritize rhythms where we are sitting under talking about reading, explaining, expressing the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because you need to hear the word regularly. Amen? Yes. We're forgetfuls, right? We're faithful forgetters. You need to be reminded of the gospel consistently. Your spouses need to sit under the word. And if they won't, then you should sit under the word. Your children need to sit under the word. Thank God for a gospel-centered children's ministry. And if you desire a faith that will stand the test of time, you need to prioritize sitting under the word and allowing the gospel of Jesus Christ to wash you clean over and over and over and over again. This world is dirty. And all of us know it physically because all y'all take showers. 
Some of you overtake showers. Some of you probably need to take more showers. But I would just venture to say that the majority of us are taking showers frequently. Because as we get out and we walk in this world, we are collecting dust and collecting dirt. And things are attaching to us and we're touching things. And our hands are becoming contaminated with sickness. Are you with me? And if we know to wash clean daily for our physical health, how much more as you enter, leave this room, and you walk into a world that is full of sut, that is full of sin that wants to contaminate you how much more is it important for you to learn to wash yourself in the word faith comes by hearing hearing the word of Christ one of the implications that your faith is in constant need of nurturing and the next implication which I think is more fitting of this particular portion of the text is this people are dying to hear the gospel people are dying to hear the gospel you know that about 10 years ago I learned a valuable lesson from kids in my youth group shout out to Roots Deep in the building if there are any any folks maybe three years ago y'all would have yelled right now it's like Um, (laughs) thank you Natia got my back over there there's a few of you in here Um, this is really ignorant okay so I'm going to pull that vulnerable card out and and just kind of let you in on some of my ignorance I used to think that everybody in the west heard about Jesus right um that it was like only in like the remote places. All of you got a picture in your head, right? Only in like the, the jungles of the Amazon, right? Or these, these islands of these like unreached people groups. That's how I used to think. And those, those were the people that had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then I met a 15-year-old teenager named Chad. And it's cool because his daughter's here today. Chad had been born and raised in Hayward and had experienced seasons of homelessness and seasons of living with his mom in hotels. And I remember the, the, one of the best sights that I've ever seen in youth ministry was Chad coming to youth group wearing an ankle monitor and he was worshiping Jesus and listening to the message like while it was plugged in <laughs> and charged in the wall. And this was one of the places that his, um, those that were kind of overseeing Chad were telling that it was, it was okay for him to be here. There was a few different places he was okay to go. And one of them was the house of God. Couldn't move too far. <laughs> um, and uh, I remember one day, Um, I asked him to volunteer backstage with me during the Easter production. So you come from like big churches or whatever, you you know, we we did the production big time. Like Good Friday, Ara's out there wearing a soldier fit. We have Roberto, same thing. Jamin was Jesus, just just walking around all of Hayward, just like reenacting this bloody scene. 
And, right. Souls got saved, amen. <laughs> and, and so one of the things that we would do, though, is that's Friday, Good Friday, we would kind of do that. We would call it like a passion parade. And then on Sunday, we would, we would show kind of the rest of the crucifixion story. And so here, Chad and I were backstage, 15-year-old Chad backstage. And uh, we were running around and kind of doing all this setup and, and everything else. And the, the time came for this scene when like Jesus was coming with a cross, right? And everyone's just whipping. And then ultimately they were going to end up on the stage. And then, you know, they were going to put him up there and they were going to nail his hands and his feet, right? <clears throat> and I remember when that time was coming, Chad looked at me and he said, I really want to see this part. Like, do you mind if, like, we just kind of, like, go and check it out? And so in our old church, there was this stage. And then behind the stage was, like, this back door. And that back door had a crack, like, tall enough between the floor <laughs> and the bottom of the door. So, like, we got on, like, army crawl legs, right? And we, and we, just, we twisted our, and so our, our eyes were peeking through that space, and we were able to see, and some of you know what I'm talking about. We were literally able to see the entire thing. So here, Chad and I are on the floor, like in an army crawl, because he was really wanting to see this particular scene. And there on his belly, <laughs> Chad watched with horror. <laughs> he was horrified. And, and, and I'll never forget what he said next. As Jesus was being whipped and crucified... He whispered to me, I had no idea that Jesus went through all of this for me. It was like he was watching the movie for the very first time. And it was in that moment that I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I learned a real powerful lesson from my young people. We don't have to go across the world to find someone who has never been given the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. All we need to do is get over our fear, get over our complacency, get over our pride, get over our ego and walk across the street, across the hall, across the office, across the cubicle, across the school to find a hurting world unable to believe because of a disobedient church refusing to proclaim. Wow. Is that harsh? Yeah. So Paul questions rhetorically because the answer is so painfully obvious. How is anyone to hear without someone preaching? The Greek word used for preaching is keruso. And it means to proclaim or to announce. Because immediately when you saw preaching, you, you disqualified yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Right? This is our human nature. Oh, that's not me. It, 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 it does not refer to a professional orator right? or a full-time pastor. It is not limited to Sunday morning services in the pulpits of churches. Paul does not have a pastor in mind, but he actually has a more ancient term and a more ancient position in mind of what was called a herald. A herald. 
Now, as I was doing a word study on Caruso, I came across, across this illustration that I thought was such a powerful illustration. In 490 BC, the Persian Empire attacked the Greek city of Marathon. And the people of Marathon withstood the assault, defended the city, and won a great victory that day. Overwhelmed with joy, they called for the herald. And his name was Phidippides. And they tasked him to run to Athens and to deliver to them the good news. And what was the good news? The good news was that we have defended our city. The enemy has been conquered and victory is ours. The problem for the herald was that Athens was 21.2 miles away from Marathon. So Phidippides ran and he ran as fast as he can <laughs> to deliver the good news of a victory. The story goes on to say that he ran into the city and the city was anxiously awaiting the outcome because they knew if, if Marathon had collapsed to the Persian Empire, they would be next. And so as they anxiously awaited Philippides with all of the strength that he could muster after one running 21.2 miles, he came into the city, he cuffed his hands together and he declared, hail, we are victorious. And with that, he collapsed and fell dead because his lungs could not uphold him any longer. And so in honor of the herald, who was willing to die for the sake of delivering the good news, the marathon was born. Powerful. In honor of the herald, who was willing to die for the sake of the good news, the marathon was born. And as Christians, I think... We don't pause enough to honor the martyrs. We don't pause to read about the Colosseum and the Christians being torn apart for their faith. We're comfortable, aren't we? Right? We're so afraid to lose our job. And they were willing to lose their life. And yeah, you can complain about where we live. I got a list of them. But we are still able to freely proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ without any worry of losing your life. I think the American church should probably pause before they start using and throwing the term persecution out. Getting off my high horse. Listen, you may not call, be called to be a pastor, right, or a missionary overseas. But God has commissioned all believers to be heralds of the good news of Jesus' victory over sin, Satan, and the grave. Finally, the missional flow of the gospel hinges on this. 
Everything hinges on this. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how can they call in whom they do not believe? And how can they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear if there is nobody preaching? And the missional flow of the gospel begins with the sending of the church. Because Paul says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? Amen? This entire week, as I was prepping for this sermon, the question that I kept asking myself was this. Is Inspire Ascending Church? Maybe you can ask that question too. Is Inspire Ascending Church? Do you feel equipped to be sent? You see, our God is ascending God. You don't believe me? The Father sent the Son. The Son goes and then sends the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls and the church is empowered to be witnesses. And so the Spirit sends the church. But there's a problem with the church. There's a dam in the flow. The Father sends, the Son sends, the Spirit sends, but the church struggles to send. So the question is not, is God on mission? God has been on mission the moment mankind messed it all up. So the question is not, is God on mission? But the question is, will Inspire Church join in with him? Is Inspire Ascending Church? And I'll just, because I am practical, right? Like what, what, it can't just be an arbitrary question. Like what are the markers? And this isn't, you know, the, a robust marker of what it means to be sent. But I just have a few questions that I want to pose, that I pose to myself. I want to pose it to myself in front of you. Number one, are we regularly praying for the lost? Sure, we've had a few prayer nights, but I think the answer is no. Maybe you can just pose that question to yourself. Are you regularly praying for the lost? Number two, are we general, generously giving to missions? Are we identifying folks that are being sent out overseas to bring the good news to the ends of the earth? And are we ensuring that they don't have to worry about raising money to do it? The answer is no. Next question is, are we strategically raising 
equipping and sending out labors into our harvest field. Now, one would argue, and I, I, I would agree, on Sundays we're preaching the gospel, we're gathering in rhythms of life, we're, there are certain elements that we're entering into the city, but even then it feels a little bit more like partnering to take care of the physical needs, which is very much an important thing, right? But if faith comes by hearing, we can't just be a people who gives things away and nothing else. Well, at the same time, we can't just be a people who talk and not express the gospel. So I don't want to divorce those two. And so I feel like and I sense that there are some things that we are doing. But if I were really being honest, we might occasionally, right? We, we, we may accidentally, <laughs> you know, but, but strategically, regularly, the answer is no. What, what a, and can I say this? This isn't on you. This is a report card for me. I mean, it's pastor's day. You gave me a bunch of great things, but this is my report card. This is my burden to bear. I thank God for a savior who got all A's. <laughs> I thank God for a savior who didn't fail. He got straight A's. I thank God that I have my savior's transcripts. So when the father <laughs> looks at me in order to see if I can get into the university of heaven, he's not looking at my like D's and C's and F's, but he's looking at the A of Christ. So we rest in that. I feel loved in that. I feel compelled by that. I feel conviction, but I feel loved. How can anybody preach if they're not sent? I just want to make a couple of statements. We're almost finished. You guys are doing great. In this room, we have people called to their neighborhoods, called to their coworkers, called to their friends and families. I, I want to be ascending church. Did you know that in this room, we may have missionaries called overseas? What would that look like if Inspired Church not just gave generously to overseas mission, but raised up people that were willing to say, I'm leaving it for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to live in a foreign place, in a foreign land, so that Christ can be seen in me and through me. What would it be like if this church sent people, not just resources? I want to be ascending church. In the room, we, we may have intercessors called to pray. Right? Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send labors. Right? He, he begins, his whole statement says, the harvest is ready. You know, we may not be farmers, but we all know what, the, what that means. It, 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 it's the, he doesn't say the harvest is not ready, so pray that the harvest would become ready. He says the harvest is ready. The problem isn't with the ready harvest, it's with the complacent church. 
It's the us for and no more. Praise God, you saved our soul. You know, um, I have a few seconds left. And <clears throat> I've been, I was sermon, I was preparing. I, I'd go away sometimes for like a, a sermon series retreat. And I just pray and kind of ask the Lord, hey, what, what are some of the major series that you want to do this year? And I just think through it, pray through it. And, <clears throat> and while I was kind of doing that, the whole time on this, this time of prayer, I felt, I felt the Lord telling me that I, I, I need to be unapologetic with the call. And in particular, I felt like, I, I told Pastor Roger this. He's all, yeah. <laughs> I told Pastor, in particular, um, there are so many people that are so scared of the call so afraid there are pastors in this room right just scared there are missionaries in this room but you're scared there are church planters how are we going to plant a church it's me and Roger right we have to raise up people that feel the call to go there might even be a church planter in this room and if I don't unapologetically call and unapologetically send regularly, strategically, then some of you in here are going to miss. Because how can they preach if they're not being sent? And here's the beautiful thing about this church. We're, we're a sending church. We're a church that we want to come beside you. We want to send you. We want to finance you. We want to celebrate you. Jesus is the ultimate missionary, amen? <laughs> Let's go back to that report card because I'm feeling a little down right now. I need that report card. <laughs> just, just look at our Savior. What does it mean to look like him? He became poor so we could become rich. He was humiliated so that we could be exalted. He was forsaken so we could be accepted. For our sake, he who knew no sin was made to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And as I invite the team up for a brief response, I want to read this final quote by missiologist Ed Stetzer. And I want to leave this quote up here. And as we sing, I just, we're going to dismiss you. And I just would love for you to process these words and allow the Spirit of God to move you. Allow the missional flow of the gospel to begin to do a work in you. And it reads like this, for the church to participate with Jesus on mission means they follow in his footsteps. As Jesus came saving and sending and serving, his church moves forward in the world, sharing 
serving, and sending. Amen? As Jesus came, saving, serving, and sending, his church moves forward in the world, sharing, serving, and sending. What good is it to allow the gospel to transform us into the image of Christ? And we're not walking like him, talking like him, loving the things that he loves. We used to study about a particular community that was called the Moravians. And uh, they were a community of people that would gather together to live with one another, to worship King Jesus. But they were a missional community, which means they gathered for the purpose of sending. And there are many incredible stories about the Moravians that you can look up, but like one of the most incredible stories was there was a certain island where they would take slaves that nobody could go. And so the Moravians would sell themselves into slavery so that they can go to these islands. And so they could just gather and be a community with the people and take the good news of Jesus Christ. And they used to have a mantra. Like, what would inspire people to do that? Right? What would inspire you to do what Jesus did? To leave your comforts of glory and to step down and come alongside those that are considered lowly. What was the mantra? What in the world would cause somebody to do something that would look absolutely crazy to the rest, to the rest of us safe and comfortable people? It was the worthiness of the Lamb. And their mantra was something to the effect of worthy is the lamb who deserves the reward of his suffering. <laughs> worthy of King Jesus who deserves the reward of his suffering. So we will lay down our lives to bring others to Christ because Christ laid down his life. He is worthy of a, the reward of his suffering. And what was the reward of his suffering? That those who have not heard that those who do not know would hear and would know and would call upon him and be saved. Yes. Is he worthy? Yes. 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 Let me pray. Yes. Thank you, God. Jesus. Thank you for the beautiful, essential elements of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your grace which is free. There's no performing, pretending, acting, achieving, or earning in this room. You've given us your perfect record of righteousness freely. Thank you for the gift of faith, belief, trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for adoption. We are all orphans. In this world, we have been orphaned by sin and Satan. And Christ, you have, through your death, brought us into the Father's house. We have been adopted. We have been justified, sanctified, and we will one day be glorified. You will make all things new. And we rejoice in that. And we worship in that. But this morning, we respond to that by going. This morning, we respond to that sending. And being a people that would overcome our shame, our fear, our worry, our doubts. 
so that the gospel of Jesus Christ may move to the ends of the earth and the ends of the Bay Area because the Lamb of God is worthy of the reward of his suffering. So help us to be ascending church. Help me to be a pastor that thinks strategically about sending and help us to be a people that go. And we pray these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's give King Jesus worship. Come on, let's praise King Jesus. He is worthy. Inspire Church, we love you. And now will you go? Will you go out to the world? And will you be a light for the honor and glory of King Jesus? God bless. Have a wonderful Sunday. Again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Our prayer and hope is that you would be transformed by God's word and live for him. Before you go, would you consider giving a gift today? By faith, we are walking into the new year and continuing to believe in what God is doing in the city through our missional communities and mercy ministries. Visit us at inspiredchurches.com to give a gift and let's see together the great things God will continue to do in the new year.